Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Every one of us has a future. Um, It may be on this earth, we don't know, but we all have an eternity. Uh, Every one of us has has been born in the image of God for eternity, and that eternity will either be an eternity of life in the presence of God or an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. That's just the reality. That's what the Bible teaches us. We all have an eternity. That is something that we all have in common. Another thing that, that we have in common is that we all have a past. How many of you have a past? You have a yesterday. You have a last year. This morning, as we unpack um, a story in Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to press into that past because uh, as, as I've grown in my relationship with Christ and I've walked the journey with a number of people as they've grown in relationship with the Lord, what I've discovered is that both our future and our past can become very huge barriers to us walking by faith and obedience with Jesus. Pastor Danny was up here just a bit ago and he was talking about uh, some mission trips coming up, Madagascar and Panama and to Brazil. And, and as some of you immediately, you immediately just wrote that off. You, you wrote it off because you thought, nah, I, there's no way. I will not do that. that. That's fearful. I don't know. Everything we've been talking about is by faith. Someone took a step of faith. And so please just don't write that off. Just ask the Lord what he would have you do. But some of you immediately wrote it off. You said, I will not do that because I don't know. There's this fear of the future. What does that look like? Some of you wrote it off because of your past. Some of you are sitting in this room and you're honestly just sitting here and in this moment as we talk about stepping by faith and by faith, all these incredible things happen in the book of Hebrews, uh, specifically in chapter 11. And you're thinking, yeah, but Pastor Dave, you don't know my past. God could never use me because of this. And and I want you to know, I've been praying for this time this morning because I'm really asking the Lord to just snuggle up alongside every one of us and, and to meet us so uniquely at the very point of our need. Some of you are here with very deep hurts of the past and, and need to experience not just forgiveness, but forgetness. It's one thing to, to experience the forgiveness of God. It's another thing to forget. And God says that he turns his back on our sin when, when we repent and that he removes that sin as far as the east is from the west and he buries it in the deepest parts of the ocean and he remembers it no more, but we don't forget. And sometimes that becomes a hindrance to our walk with Christ. What we forget is that these incredible stories of faith, and and if you look at Hebrews 11, these are all incredible stories of victory, aren't they? Why don't we see defeats? Why don't we see all the, the blunders here? Because that's not what we're looking at. We're looking at stories of faith. By faith, these incredible things happened. And so they're victories. And and as we press into that this morning, we're going to look at another uh, character that is listed here, and that is the life of Rahab. And so as we do, let's just pray together really quick. Can we do that? Father, thank you that you have brought us to this place, whether that's that person that's attending online right now. God wants to speak to your heart. He knows you well, and he cares for you. And he wants to minister to your needs wherever you're watching 
And if you're in this room and you're hearing my voice, God wants to speak to you. We've asked him by song and in prayer to come and to invade this place, to speak to our hearts. And I ask him to do that with you just as he is with me this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 11, if you have your Bible, I trust you do. I'm going to ask you to turn there uh, as we look at the life of this woman named Rahab. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 30, simply says this, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. 31, by faith Rahab the prostitute, the label that's given to her. Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. We're introduced to this character. Her name is Rahab back in the book of Joshua. Uh, keep a finger in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and just start turning back with me to, to the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. Um, Abraham, um, I'm sorry, Joshua had taken over as Moses died. They're sitting on the side of the Jordan. They've been wandering outside of Egypt for 40 years through the wilderness experience. Uh, the, the rains are being handed off to Joshua. Joshua is sitting on the edge of the Jordan with the people of Israel. They're getting ready to take over the land of Canaan that God had promised to them. And, and jo Joshua sends two spies into Canaan, specifically to the city of Jericho. He goes, go spy it out, go check it out. Right, they're doing recon work. And it's in that encounter with those spies as they go into the city of Jericho, they encounter this lady. Her name is Rahab. She's a prostitute. Uh, and a lot of commentators have questioned, oh, is she really a prostitute? Because uh, it's also kind of referred to as an innkeeper. Sometimes prostitutes had uh, their home open. It's very clear in Scripture that the words that are used in the Hebrew and then later in the Greek uh, are the root of where we get our word pornography. Uh, so this is not an innkeeper, but it's very realistic that she had her home open. It was a way of making money. Um, more than likely, her house was sitting between the outer wall and the inner wall of the city of Jericho. Um, and that's where they made their escape. That's where she later hung the red cord out that, that let them know where she was. But, but that's where we're introduced to this woman um, in chapter 2, verse 1. It simply introduces her as a prostitute named Rahab. And, and Rahab played this critical role in the Israelite conquest of Canaan by housing the spies, by hiding them from the king and saving their life. And then she delivers in chapter 2, beginning around verse 8, she delivers this incredible um, statement, this, this declaration, kind of a powerful speech to the spies describing how her people had heard of the great victories of the Lord. And, and she makes this incredible declaration of who God is. Uh, one commentator in, in making uh, note of this said, this is probably one of the longest uninterrupted statements by a woman in the biblical narrative. Because she goes on for a number of verses we're going to read that in just a moment, but it's important to know that as we read this story, I want you to understand one thing very, very clear, and that is the Rahab is saved by grace through faith. This speaks to her works. It speaks to what she did, but she was not saved because of what she did. She did what she did because she had this incredible faith in Jehovah God. Right? The Bible tells us that we're not saved by our good works. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of 
works so that no one can boast. We don't earn our salvation by doing good works. Our good works become a reflection of our faith in God. We'll see that in the life of Rahab. But let's just take a look for a moment in Joshua chapter 2. Let me just begin to read and let's understand the storyline just a little bit. Joshua chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, uh, beginning in verse 8. It simply says, before the men lie down, she came up to them on the roof, that's where she was hiding them, um, and said to them, and now here begins her quote, this begins her statement, her narrative, I know that the Lord, and if you're reading your Bible, that word Lord is all caps, it's small caps, that is, denotes that it is the name Jehovah, right? She, she is declaring Jehovah God, that, that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord, again Jehovah, dried up the water of the Red Sea before, um, before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were uh, beyond the Jordan to Sahon and Og. She's referring to the wilderness wanderings when God was caring for the people of Israel. Uh, this is recorded back in like Numbers chapter 20, 21, 22. Um, and so then in verse 11, she says, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. Speaking to the nation of Israel and their protection by the hand of God. So now you have to understand this has been going on for about 40 years in Rahab's life. Because they've heard about all the stuff that God is doing in their life. He's hearing about all the things that, that God is doing with the nation of Israel. How he's protecting them. How he's destroying people and removing kings. And he's providing and he's caring for his people out of his love and his devotion to his own name and to his own character. And then midway through verse 11, I, I love this because what I read in this is this incredible declaration of here's what she believes about God. This is why she does what she does, because she has this incredible belief in God. And this is what she said in verse 11, we left it off, uh, spirit left in any man because of you, for the Lord, that word is Jehovah, for the Lord, her, her dependence, her acknowledgement that God is Jehovah, your Jehovah God, uh, the Lord, your God, that word God is actually the word Elohim. It's the word we see in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God, Elohim, the creator. Uh, it, it speaks to his divine nature. It's who he is. He is God, again, Elohim in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord, Jehovah, now she's making a covenant with these guys to the Lord Jehovah. Uh, swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. End of quote. That's a great statement by her, isn't it? I, I absolutely love that. Verse 14, and the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If, if you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord, Jehovah, gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. We see that played out. We see it in Joshua chapter 6 that the city is destroyed and Rahab and her family are actually saved. What God did in this moment is he saved her by grace through faith. He didn't save her because she was kind to the spies. She was kind to the spies because she knew of the character and nature of God. And she was trusting God in that moment. 
The question becomes, when we go back to Hebrews chapter 11, those readers, those Jewish readers would have known full well the story of Rahab. They would have known all this stuff. The question is, why did the writer put it there and what would their immediate takeaway be? Because the context of Hebrews chapter 11 is continue to persevere, have faith, stand strong, continue to persevere like Rahab who by faith… So what would, what would they have understood? Well, I think Rahab's faith brought two radical changes in her life. And, and I think it's these two radical changes that, that these uh, Hebrew readers would have understood. And, and that's the stuff they would have leaned into pretty quickly. Now, as we move forward, it's important to know that, there's, uh, that, that Rahab is, is listed. She's referred to three times in the New Testament. Once here in the book of Hebrews and then two other times. None of these are an accident. Matter of fact, the, the more I pressed into this character, the study of Rahab, what, what I realized is that they're so uniquely placed because they actually accentuate these radical changes that she experienced. And we'll look at those as we move through the text. The first radical change that I see in Rahab's life is her activity. She was radically changed because of her trust in Christ. And, and, the, and the first radical change was an activity. Uh, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 31. It says, by faith, the prostitute, uh, Rahab the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now, the language that's used right there did not perish with those. Uh, it, it implies an obedience. In other words, she was obedient while others were disobedient. It also uh, kind of refers to a contrast between the two. She was obedient because she knew something. The others were disobedient. She was obedient because she trusted. The others were disobedient because they chose not to trust. When I look at that, I, what I realize is Rahab did not know all of what was in store. In other words, Rahab didn't know what she didn't know. She had no idea what was coming. What she knew was the faithfulness and the character of God that she had heard for the last 40 years. And she, she had placed her trust in this God of Israel, Jehovah God. She trusted God for the next step. She had no idea what the next step was, except to know that her city was about to be destroyed. And, and isn't that salvation? God, I know that I am dead without you. The Bible says we are born dead in our trespasses and sin, and that I, I can choose as, as an act of my will to trust him, to surrender my life to him, and, and spend life with him because he gives us new life and, and an eternal life or I can choose eternal death. Rahab was choosing eternal life. There's this beautiful picture of salvation because she trusted in the nature and character of God. She trusted in Jehovah God for all of his future promises. And in this moment, she didn't know what she didn't know, but she trusted God in that moment for her next step. That's all she knew. She took God at his word. She, what she knew of God in that moment, she lived by risky faith and she applied in that moment through her activity, through her trust, through her saving and protecting these spies. In other words, she was saying, all I know about God is this, and in that I am going to stand. 
It's in what I know about God right now that I am going to stand and I'm going to trust him for the next step. You see, salvation, when we look at salvation, we, yeah, we understand the, the blood of Jesus Christ that, that sin separates me from a holy God and, and that Jesus Christ paid the price for my sin. He lived the sinless life that I couldn't live and he died in my place. But what is salvation? Salvation is trusting in God for that. But salvation at its most basic form is giving everything I know of myself to everything I know of God. When I was a young boy and I, I gave my life to Jesus Christ, I didn't know a whole lot about God. And I didn't know a whole lot about me. At that point, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, I didn't know what a prostitute was. But salvation is giving what I know of myself. God, I know that I am a sinner and I believe that you died for me and that you came to rescue me and that you desire a relationship with me. And so the best way now, I give what I know of me to what I know of you, God, please save me. That's salvation. There was a point in my life I was saved. And that's where many Christians just leave off. Yeah, there was a day I, I prayed. But see, the Bible is all about this pursuit of intimate relationship with Christ, growing in Christ. So yes, there was a day that I was saved and I took God at his word and he did exactly what he said he would do and my salvation is secure because of that moment in time. But the whole context of Hebrews chapter 11 is, is verse six that says it's impossible to please God without faith. That, that God rewards those who seek him. So what do we do in relationship with God as because I am saved, I seek to please him. I seek to grow in relationship with him. That's what the Bible refers to as sanctification. See, I was saved that, that day I got on my knees in the boiler room of a small church in Northern Illinois and I gave Jesus my life. But every day of my life, I am growing in Christ. I am being sanctified in Christ. Why? Because I learn more about him and I learn more about me. And the more I learn about him and the more I learn about me, I give over to him and he continues to grow me. So I was saved at that moment forever. I, every day of my life, I continue to be saved because I'm growing in sanctification with Jesus and one day I will be saved for all eternity. Rahab was in this moment of being saved. She, she trusted in the Jehovah God of Israel that's where she stood, that's where she, she made her declaration, and by faith and, and in trust, she did what she did. But it's interesting because when we look at Hebrews chapter 11, there's all these great victories of by faith Moses did this, and by faith Abraham did this, and by faith Enoch did this, and by faith Abel did this, and, and this happened. What is our story of faith with Rahab? By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish. Woo, what a victory. I didn't die today. It was not some great thing that she did. She was part of the process of what God was doing in the nation of Israel. And so by faith, she did not perish because she chose to be obedient. That's huge. That's huge because as we know, as, as we read Joshua 3, 4, 5, 6, we realize that the whole city is destroyed. And yet Rahab and her family are saved. 
See, the problem for many of us is that we grow in knowledge with God, which is a good thing. We grow in the knowledge of his word, which is wonderful. We should, by all means. The problem is that we don't always grow in obedience and behavior to what we know about God's word to be true. It's great to grow in the knowledge of God's word. It's great to, to study God's word. We absolutely should. That's how we draw, draw close to Christ. But if I'm simply acquiring knowledge from his word and it's not affecting my heart and it's not affecting my hands and feet to live in obedience, James says that's a dead faith. Rahab did not have a dead faith. She had a faith that was very much alive because she was living in obedience to what she knew. So oftentimes, starting with myself, I, I realize that many Christians are educated well beyond our level of obedience. I spend a lot of time in classes and learning and reading and doing things, but if I simply take in the knowledge of God's Word and don't apply what I know, what, what is that? Am I living a life that's pleasing to the Lord? See, as we grow in relationship to Christ, we study his word, we're actually introduced to two types of sin because here, here it says in, in Hebrews eleven thirty one 31 that she was obedient while the others were disobedient. Well, what does it mean to be disobedient to God? Well, oftentimes we simply look at it in, from, from a very religious perspective and say, oh, well, disobedience is I did something I wasn't supposed to do. It was on God's bad list, Right? And guys, that's religion. Can I just tell you that? Religion is when I think I have to check off the list and do all the right things in hopes that God is going to love me. Truth of the matter is God loves me in my sin. And he seeks to restore me to right relationship. But, but sometimes we grow up in church life and it's like, oh man, you can't smoke or drink or dance or chew or go with girls that do, right? I mean, because th that's like all the religious rules. If you don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. And, and we think of disobedience as, oh, I, I did something I shouldn't do. That's true. But the more we grow in our relationship with Christ, we understand this is a far more relational process. And we're introduced to two types of sin. Right? Because Jesus deepens the pot just a little bit. So, so in Scripture, we have sins of commission. These are things that we do that we shouldn't do because they're contrary to the nature and character of God. There's other sins that we, we omit obedience. God commands us to do something, and we don't. So you have sins of commission, which is active, doing something you shouldn't do. And you have sins of omission. In other words, I'm commanded to do something and out of my stubborn, sinful will, I say I'm not going to do it. Any parents in the house? <laughs> yeah, I know you want me to do that. I'm not going to do it. I used to tell my kids all the time, if I asked them to do something, oh, as soon as I'm done with this level. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. God, I'll do that later. God, you're calling me to do a mission trip. God, you're telling me to share my faith. God, you're telling me to disciple. God, you're telling me to help your body grow. Nah, I'll, I'll do it later. Sin of omission. God is commanding you and telling you to do something you don't do. That's passive. So you have sins of commission, sins of omission. And in this situation, as Rahab is simply walking in obedience, she's walking in a way that she was doing what God commanded her to do, while at the same time not doing the things that she shouldn't do. So what is the purpose of this obedience? Why do we walk by faith? Why do we risk it all? It takes us back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. 
This is the foundation that we've brought up just about every single week. Uh, in Hebrews eleven six. 6, it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That screams of relationship. It screams of the fact that God desires intimate relationship with us. Uh, when he says uh, to please him, right, it's impossible to please him. Uh, let me clarify something. To please God is not the same as appease God. Sometimes we go, oh, I got to do this stuff because I have to please God. But in our mind, we're thinking I have to appease God. In other words, I got to check the list so that he's happy with me. That, that's not what this verse says. It says, as you're growing and seeking him in intimate relationship, God looks at you and says, I am well pleased. I am well pleased with your life of obedience. Why? Because your obedience is all about pointing people back to Jesus. If you take a, a risk, right, take a step of faith that somehow you think it's about you, you miss the point of faith and obedience in Jesus. Our faith and our obedience is all about pointing people back to Christ, uh, to please him in a way that honors him, to please him in a way that causes others to see him, to be drawn near to him. And so our risk to live by faith is not about our glory, uh, but to draw near to God. It's to bring honor and glory to him through lives of obedience where Jesus says, I am well pleased because you are honoring me with your life and others are being drawn to my love and my grace. Every story we see in Hebrews 11 is exactly that. It was not for their glory. It was not for their honor. It was to the glory of Jesus Christ. And when I look at this and I think about Rahab and I'm thinking about the step that she took, all I could think of is that either your God is bigger than your circumstances or your circumstances are bigger than your God. How big is your God that you're willing to take a stand and say, God, I have no idea what tomorrow holds. I have no idea what this step of obedience holds, but you are a bigger God than my circumstances. And in this moment, I'm going to stand on what I do know, and I'm going to trust you by golly, and here we go. And that was her step of faith. See, isn't that exactly what Jesus demonstrated for us? Matthew chapter 4 as Jesus called his first disciples, you can see it on the screen, what did he say to them? He said, follow me. You follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Do you understand the implication of following Jesus? In this moment, even though Jesus had not said these words, this is exactly what Rahab was doing. She was following God. She, she was taking a step of faith and following God. See, when we follow Christ... He says, come and follow me. What did Jesus not say? He didn't say, hey guys, watch me go walk around. Hey guys, I got a great plan. Watch me just from a distance. You sit here where it's comfortable and just watch me because I'm going to go walk around and do some really cool stuff. He said, follow me. And when I'm following him, I go where he goes. And if that's Madagascar or if that's Brazil, or if that's Panama, or if that's to the mall, or if that's to Stonecrest, or if it's to one of the apartments, if it's one of our mission partners, where Jesus goes, I go. Why? Because I'm following him. Where he goes, I go. Where he leads, I follow. Uh, and I follow him by faith, because sometimes following him is scary. Anybody relate? Sometimes following him and taking that next step is scary. 
But what I realize is I follow him, it's, it's all about his destination. It's, it's all about his plan. It's all about his purpose. It's ultimately all about his mission and not mine because I've surrendered myself to follow. But then what does he say? He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. As we follow him step by step, he's going to make us something. He's going to change us from the inside out. Pastor Scott, Pastor Dr. Reverend Scott Lear often says, spiritual transformation leads to gospel saturation. Why? Because as we follow him, he's transforming our hearts and lives. What does that lead us to? It leads us to be fishers of men. Do you, did you see in Joshua chapter 2, and we see it in Joshua, Joshua chapter 6, Rahab trusted in God. And she immediately became a fisher of men because she, she began to share. Because it wasn't just Rahab that bailed. It wasn't just her. She immediately began to reach others. And, and so sometimes I have to stop and say, if God's command is to follow him, and, and if he tells me in the process he's going to make me a fisher of men, at some point I have to stop and say, am, am I making fishers of men? Have I become a fisher of men? Am I sharing the gospel? Have I experienced spiritual transformation that leads to gospel saturation? In other words, am I being a fisher of men? If not, then I have to stop and ask, am I following Jesus? She took God at his word. And, and, and in that process, Rahab immediately moved from affiliation to activation. She moved from affiliation to activation. Uh, see, if you're going to follow Jesus, you, you abandon where you are and you begin to follow him. You are now activated into the mission. And, and he's using you for his honor and glory. There's a friend of mine, his name was John, and we played high school basketball together, and John was like 11th, 12th man off the bench, and uh, we were playing a team, and it was, it was a great game. This is like one of our arch rivals, and we were in foul trouble, and, and Coach Hakes looks down, and he goes, Fincher, come here. And John gets up, and he's like, you know, time out, and, and we're like, we're down. He goes, we need a foul, but we, had, we, had, we were in foul trouble. So he sends John in, and he says, John, go foul somebody. That's your job, man. Just go foul somebody. And so he did. You know, play starts. Guy grabs the ball, jumps. He's, he's, he's in air, not, not this high, but he's, he's, he's in the midst of a jump shot, and John just goes, boom. I mean, the guy's off the ground, and John, like, boom. I mean, like three, four feet back, and boom. Flagrant foul. John's ejected from the game, right? So like his high school career is all of about 13 seconds, you know? But, but, but the point is, John went from affiliation to activation. When coach said, I need you in the game, here's what I need you to do, I'm on it. I'm on it. And that guy went up, I mean, it's still just such a great image in my head. But he went from affiliation to activation. Guys, listen, you can be around Jesus and be affiliated with Jesus, but that's not what he calls us to. You might be here this morning going, hey, I like hanging around with Jesus. A lot of people love to hang out with Jesus. He did some cool stuff. Man, you got to come hang out with this guy. 
I mean, he raises people from the dead. He heals blind people. He feeds people. It's like, man, this guy's awesome. And people love to hang around him. But guys, God has not called us to a life of affiliation, but one of activation. In other words, you live what you believe. Pastor Scott pressed into this pretty heavy a couple of weeks ago, right? That our belief, what we know in our head, has to become a conviction which moves to our heart. And ultimately, that affects our behavior, which is our hands and feet. And that was Rahab's life. What she knew in her head became a conviction of her heart and she acted upon that truth. We say it all the time here, right? It's our, it's our mantra. We are passionate about connecting people to Jesus for what? For life change, because life change is transformation. It affects our behavior. And so Rahab was not saved by her good works, but she was saved unto good works. Because of her salvation, she acted upon that. And this is where James, the book of James, presses into this idea that uh, James 1.22, don't simply listen to the word, do what it says. And so it's not a surprise that we find Rahab mentioned in James chapter 2. Look on the screen, you can see it. James writes and he says, and in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified? That word literally is to be shown righteous. She wasn't saved by doing it, but she proved her salvation by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body uh, apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. In other words, we serve God in obedience, not to earn salvation, but because we are saved, we desire to live in obedience and action. Our activity changes because we have an encounter with Jesus Christ. I love Dr. Warren Worsby, where he, he said, the true saving faith, true saving faith can never be by itself. It always brings life and life produces good works. Ephesians 2.10, you know, for we are as workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance for us. That's the idea of pressing on by faith. So the activity in Rahab's life was radically changed. It affected her behavior. Immediately she, she fell in line with her belief and her convictions. She then went immediately from affiliation to activation, risking it all and put her faith to work. The second radical change that I'll share with you quickly as we close is her identity. Her activity was radically changed, but I believe a bigger change in Rahab's life was her identity. I think this is where God is speaking to a lot of hearts this morning. Do you hear every time we've seen this Rahab, the prostitute. Rahab, the prostitute. That was her identity. That's how she was known. But I love this because I realize that we all have a past. We all have experiences. We all have situations that cause us to struggle with forgiveness and forgetness as we move to honor Christ with our life and, and the ability to be used by him. And that many, many many followers of Jesus get stuck in that past identity. Rahab stepped into a new identity in Christ. She became part of the family. Uh, let me just take us back to the book of Joshua, chapter 6. Moving forward, now the Jericho walls have come down. Israel is victorious. 
Joshua chapter 6, verse 25. I love this. But Rahab the prostitute in her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day. She has lived in Israel. In other words, the, the text is really among us. She has become part of us. She is among us. She's part of the family. She's part of us. We've embraced her. We love her. We care for her. You know, the cool thing is it doesn't stop there. Not only was Rahab delivered from judgment, she became a part of the nation of Israel. She became a part of the family. She went on to marry a man named Selmon. She later, then with Selmon, gave birth to a man. His name was Boaz. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Boaz was an ancestor of King David. So it's not a surprise that the third place that we see Rahab listed in the New Testament is in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, and it simply says this, And Selmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. Did you notice it? Did you notice it? Or actually, did you see what was missing? Did you see what's missing? The father of Boaz by Rahab. Wasn't Rahab the prostitute? Why? Because she had a brand new identity in Jesus. She was not only a child of the king, she was not only part of the nation of Israel, she became part of the heritage and the, and, and the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. She stepped into this new identity. Do you have a past? Absolutely. Do I have a past? Absolutely. Every one of us have a past. Rahab had a past. She also had a future, and she clearly stepped into that new identity. Some people go, oh, they're just, they're trying to cover it up. No, they're not. They, they weren't covering anything up. It was, it was absolutely clear. There, there's no cover-up. Rahab's identity radically changed. Her past was forgiven. She has this new life in Christ. She became part of the family line of Jesus, the Messiah. There's four women named specifically, one referred to in the genealogy of Jesus. Rahab is one of those. Ruth is one of those. Mary, the mother of Jesus, obviously mentioned. Bathsheba's referred to, she's not named by name, but refers to the wife of Uriah. But one of only four women specifically named. And guys, I believe that is so, so intentional. There's a new identity. I don't know what your past is. I don't know what you're struggling with, but I want you to know that God is a God of forgiveness. He's a God of healing. He's a God of restoration. He's a God of transformation. He desires to forgive he will forget. That's the promise in Scripture. That, that he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. Isaiah says that God turns his back on our sin and he knows it no more. It says that he takes our sin and he buries it in the deepest parts of the sea. God is a forgiving God, but we have a hard time forgetting. And in that for, uh, inability to forget, sometimes we feel like God can't use us. But can I just tell you, he will. His desire is to use you for his honor and glory. Let's pray together. 
heads bowed throughout this room and online. If you're tuning in and attending with us, we're just glad. And trust that God is speaking to every single heart. There's a reason Paul comes back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. God wants to make you something new. He wants you to experience forgiveness. He wants you to experience healing. His desire is to use you for his honor and glory, to find healing, to find grace, to find peace. And as we grow in that relationship with him, it changes our activity, it changes our behavior so that everything we do is with the desire to draw near to him and to point others to him, to his glory and to his grace. I do not know your next step by faith today, but I am asking you to take a stand. Stand strong in what you know of Jesus in this moment and trust him. Trust him.